0: Mike, what's going on? Oh, not much, man. It's been a while since we've been back <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, have
1: been busy, you know, doing, you know, Wisconsin food plots and everything like that. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty crazy. Oh, work's yeah. been catching up. So musky fishing left musky, and right. Yeah, it's so it's, it's really great to be back in the studio and we're, I'm excited about this one today.
0: Me too. We just, this yesterday, we locked down the dates for our, my second archery elk hunt uh, in Colorado. Um, so we thought, you know, great time to bring on. Um,
1: Somebody that knows a little bit more about elk hunting than we yeah, probably I do. Yeah, I would say f-
0: far more than than we do. Yeah. So, um, so we are super excited. Um, we have got Jason Phelps, founder of Phelps Game Calls, on the line. Thanks for calling in, Jason. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It'll be
0: uh, fun. All righty. So we want to jump right into it. Um, kind of how, you know, how long have you been elk hunting? When did you kind of start elk hunting?
2: So, yeah, we. I grew up as a deer hunter. Like I was allowed to go deer hunting as soon as I could ride right around in a truck and kind of keep my mouth shut long enough to, to not scare anything off. Um, growing up in my family, elk hunting was more of you know that rite of passage. Um, you know, once you're a grown up man, you know, you got to elk hunt. Uh, so it was more junior high. Um, I can remember my dad, you know, my family grew up as fairly strictly rifle hunters. Um, you know, a lot of woodsmanship, a bunch of loggers. They knew how to get around and the, you know, in the timber and some of that stuff, and so, you know, deer hunting was a lot of uh, clear cut. Look, looking over, um, you didn't leave the truck a lot. Whereas elk hunting, growing up, you know, my my dads and uncles and grandpa, they would look at clear cuts, and then it was like jumping the timber. You know, twenty minutes after daylight, and you were gone all day. Okay. Um, so, you know, there needed to be some age in it. So. I started elk hunting in my junior high, you know, seventh or eighth grade, and that was only because my dad decided that hey, they open up a muzzleloader season in this area. I can extend or extend our opportunity if I get Jason's elk hunting uh, with a muzzleloader earlier. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> a, that's kind of how it was my introduction. Is we've opened up a muzzleloader season, none of us are hunting it, but let's give Jason a, a tag and, it's and he can time you know, to start shine. out. Yeah, yeah yep, that way so <laughs> yeah awesome. I can remember I think um you know eighth, eighth grade was probably the first year I started hunting awesome um, were, were
1: you successful that first year
2: I was I was <laughs> able to um kill a, a good five-point bull that's uh, awesome fairly close to home um and uh, yeah it, it worked out good and was a, a good quick start for me and uh you know from there there was a lot of you know the archery hunting and the calling of elk didn't really come into play um until later nobody in my family was an archery hunter nobody even muzzleloader where we're getting a little bit of the rut out here in the west it was more of a um, kind of no you know use what you've learned from from rifle elk hunting and um, you know the, the the woodsmanship and you know tracking elk down and, and use the muzzleloader to do that and it wasn't until later um that I, I i picked up the bow so um you know i learned to be a a fairly good elk hunter very quickly because i I'm not going to lie. When my dad did start kicking me off into the timber all day, um, I was scared. I was, I was that, that scared shitless, like young kids. Like, um, and that's
1: okay. That's, I, you I know, get that.
2: And so I figured out really quickly, like, Hey, if I pay more attention to the tracks and pay more attention and hunt harder and go into these areas where, you know, maybe nobody else has been, um, I'm going to be more successful. And so the, the quicker I could not to take the, the less time I had to be <laughs> spent out in the abyss on my you know, just, <laughs> oh, here, we'll drop you off in this batch of timber at, you know, 8 in the morning, and we'll meet you down at the bridge at 5 at night. Like, I didn't like that sort of sure. stuff. Um, you know, and so so yeah. I, I attribute some of my early success to that. I just wanted to hurry up and kill
1: an elk so I could get out of the timber. <laughs> Keeps yeah. your mind off actually being in that deep, dark timber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A little bit. So how did it transition into making elk calls then? if You you know, you, you had that um, start with – like you said you were you were young you did the muzzleloader hunting not really into the archery hunting i assume it brought you right into archery hunting so
2: yeah so the the in-between step um you know back then the primo's terminator i think everybody knows what it is or has had one along the way i remember getting one um from the local sporting goods store and so here i was a guy i think i was a sophomore in high school no real mentors you know the internet wasn't as as popular as it is now, nobody learned from. It. I'm like, well, I got this bugle tube, and I can make a bugle. I can sound pretty good compared to what the you know the, the CD that you pop into your CD player sound like. Like, let's go give it a try. And I can remember going out the night before our archery season was set to start, and you know, normally I would say this isn't a good idea to go out and call the bulls night before, but there were literally no archery elk hunters. Um, you know, aside from one or two guys back then, nobody hunted um, archery elk uh, at that time. And I can remember going out that night before archery season and I called a bull in, um, to about 25 yards, um, you know, peeing all over himself, just getting crazy bugling. And I can remember my, I was with my dad, my uncle and my wife, which was my girlfriend at the time. We were kind of snuck out this little road and I called that bull into about 25 yards, you know, and he's getting crazy and getting really close. And my uncle got a little bit nervous and I can remember him jumping up and kind of scaring the elk off. And, um, I'm like, well, shoot, this is easy. Like, if I had a bow in my hand tomorrow, I would have killed this thing. Um, You know, and then the next morning, opening day archery, once again, I went out during season and uh, was, you know, was able to call another bow and very, very close within bow range. And, um, you know, very quickly kind of figured out, like, well, shoot, I know what I'm asking for for Christmas. Uh, I'm going to get a bow. Like, this would be too easy. And that was kind of my, my, you know, the idea in my head is that this was going to be very easy um, just because nobody else was out here doing it, and, and, and you know that was my entry to archery elk hunting. Okay, that's awesome. Uh-huh.
0: I mean, it gives it gave me it gave me chills. <laughs> you know, to hearing you. Yeah,
2: it
1: was. If only it was that easy nowadays. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you know there's there's a it... lot of hunters out there, which is great. But it, it you know yeah. you're talking about a lot more pressured elk and everything like that. But
0: my first experience. Yeah, and I'm not.
2: I don't. I don't try to hide anything. Um, when I was able to start elk hunting. I don't know if you could even label, you know, an archery elk hunter back then as good because I would be on five, six, seven different bugling bulls in the morning and maybe wow. the same number at night. Like there were, I, I hunted a lot of walk-ins. If I screwed it up, I would ride my bike, um, you know, another mile down the road and get on a different. There were a lot of elk. Nobody archery hunting, and um, they were kind of left alone during the rut. And so, I got a lot of experience early on, um, and, and I always tell everybody. You know, mistakes are going to happen. Whether you know you've been doing it as long as I have, whether you've been doing it longer, and so to like add up those mistakes over and over and over very quickly be- made me become you know a better elk hunter a lot quicker because it, it does take a lot of mistakes, a lot of learning before you kind of figure it out. And even then, today, um, one you know one stat or one one thing I'd like somebody to leave with is even though I quote unquote know what I'm doing, I still screw up probably you know eight out of ten call-ins. like maybe two of them everything goes right or I make a bad decision or I circle on the elk wrong we do something along the way that's wrong but that same thing has worked multiple other times so there's there's why we try to say we know what we're doing there's a lot of uh you know inconsistencies on on um ins and stuff um you know so it's it is kind of all over the board. When you think you know what you're doing, the elk will very quickly let you know um, that well, you don't really know what you're doing.
1: They'll humble you quick. There's no doubt about yes, that. Yes, yes. And
2: yeah, yep. the only consistency is that nothing's consistent or repetitive. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, and that's why we've really developed just our system. And we, no matter how um, good or bad things are going, we always just kind of stick to the program, um, even if it's just failed us eight times in a row. Like, eventually, it's going to work. Sure. And
1: that's something to kind of keep in mind. You, you have something that's working. And even, like you said, even though you have failed, stick with it. And hopefully, yep. eventually, it'll it'll.
0: My first come. archery, or my first elk hunting experience was 2019, southern Colorado, uh, late. it was, like, I think the last 10 days we went out. Drove from Wisconsin, had slept in a trailer. Um, really n- r- nasty, rugged area. Uh, straight up, yep. straight down. Um, and we were with a group of four other guys. Um, one of them shot a cow, uh, but we were the only ones that saw a bull, um, that yeah. whole 10 days. And we had,
1: we actually saw two bulls. We
0: saw two bulls. Uh, we had one within 40 yards, but again, that animal will, will humble it will. you.
1: It was one of the eight out of yeah. 10, like you're talking about, you know, we, that you know, you. You.
0: I was, I, I was caller, Tim was shooter. Uh, I was on top of a bull. Tim was down in the bottom and you know, it, it was playing perfectly to us right down to a Creek bottom and he must not have liked something and he went quiet. Snuck around the back of Tim, and I was like wanting to scream at Tim. Turn, turn around! You are at full draw. <laughs> that, that I mean. Yeah. And I mean, he winded Tim, and we hear we heard him. Going. Yeah, bugled the, they, uh, a mile running away.
2: Yeah. Yep, yeah, and it's just you never know. Um, You know, ninety-five percent of the time you can you know 99 percent of the time you can bet that that bull is going to go downwind and then it's that one percent where it's like why did that elk not use his nose to do something you know we're set up wrong or and it's like there's all of those you know the elk should do this or that and then on that specific setup they do the one or two things they couldn't do wrong to completely blow it so um you know it's just yeah there's there's so many and that's why i've always struggled with you know education on elk hunting because I can tell you something that I think should work. And then you're going to go out there and be like, well, Phil doesn't have a clue what he's talking about because I just did that. <laughs> and he you know did the, you know, the complete opposite Sweet. thing. And that's just, that's part of the game is that they're never going to do the same thing twice.
0: Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, we, we just a couple months ago, got through Turkey season and, and you guys, you know, launched a, an awesome new product line of, uh, of Turkey calls. We, Tim and I definitely took yep. advantage of it. We bought the lot. Um, we yep. were successful. A bunch of us in our group were successful. And, um, you know, you, you have, like, the do's and don'ts, you're, you know, like, your seven call, whatever, you, what you're supposed to yep, do. Yep. And, and you get out there and you hear a hen that just doesn't stop calling yep. you know, for 20 yep. minutes. And you're like, well, is that, that might be a hunter. And you're like, yep. well, we're, yep. we're on private ground. I'm pretty sure there's no one else here. And lo and behold, yep. that single hen walks out and you're like, well, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, we,
1: you know, you just, you <laughs> yeah, and. It's hard to get inside yeah. their head to really f- figure out
2: what they're thinking, you know. It's just impossible yeah. to do. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we try to give, like, our best advice what we do and what's probably, you know, more standard. But, you know, they're, they're wild animals. There's no control in them, whether, you know, your 7 to 9-note yelp is what we recommend. Um, but, yeah, I've, same thing. We've heard uh, a hen, you know, 60, 70, 80 yelps in a row just nonstop. And it's like, well, that that's you know debunks everything right. that uh <laughs> I, you know we just said you should do uh, exactly. but yeah we just pr- and that's why we try to just put up like general guidelines or like sideboards that kind of keep you in the middle but um yeah it can definitely swing wide left or swipe uh, you know wide right from what we recommend a lot of the time
0: yeah so and what we want to do kind of transition there we want to talk about the phelps lineup of calls so um you guys obviously have your your uh, elk hunting lineup your turkey lineup. And then you guys have some waterfowl and predator. Um, you know, what's your background yep. in, in waterfowl and, and predator hunting?
2: So waterfowl, um, zero. Like, I, if you you would laugh, we saw a waterfowl call, which we worked with a few good waterfowl callers to develop what we've got. I couldn't crank on a waterfowl call <laughs> at all. Uh, me and Dirk have kind of joked around, like, one of these days we're going to do a contest because neither of us can blow. Uh, you <laughs> know, like my, background <laughs> my background is in – my background is – elk turkey and predator um you know we used to do a lot of e-calling around here for predators sure um you know a lot of mouth calling closed read stuff um and and so we grew up doing that and then my true passion is really on the elk and turkey call side um you know and so that's kind of where we live the deer call makes a ton of sense on how we design them and so as an engineer and, and kind of a guy that through a lot of practices learned, like you know sound dynamics and stuff and what makes different sounds i can design you know a call to make or mimic almost any sound um you know my passion truly lies in the elk and turkey um we did a lot of predator hunting and then you know the waterfowl pretty foreign still you know um duck goose on that side and then um yeah that's kind of where we we sit there um you know like i say we we never try to hide the fact that hey we're we're a call manufacturer our passion lies here but we're going to develop
1: calls that do all of sure. it and if you bring in the right guys yep. that know what they're doing then
0: yeah it, I mean, that, that's it doesn't matter
1: yeah right yeah, yeah absolutely what's uh so. what so we follow your Instagram page and everything like that obviously what's what's going on what's new with the Phelps lineup looks like you guys are dropping a new bugle tube maybe
2: yeah so it's been I think 18 months in the work um, I was approached um, by an engineer who um, you know dabbles in in designs and stuff and he kind of um, approached me with do you have the interest in this idea and at first like ah you know, I don't know, we're doing so old with our plastic tubes and kind of gave it some merit, looked at it and, um, you know, ultimately ended up buying the idea um, from this engineer and we really progressed it from there. You know, he was uh, cutting old, uh, you know, little league baseball bats apart basically, you know, similar to the way that we ended up with plastic (laughs) vehicle tubes. People were modifying baseball bats. Yeah. Um, He sent me some prototypes. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah." and and so now we've got aluminum kids bats, you know, and, and, so I looked at him and I said, well, I tell you what, I want this to be a little different, um, similar to the way I've designed my plastic bat, slightly different from a plastic wiffle ball belt. Let's put some engineering behind this. So um, as an engineer, um, we use a program called SolidWorks, which if you pay a whole lot more than what the normal um, license is, you can get vibration theory and vibration analysis um, included. And then with my background in engineering, like we have charts and stuff with basically it turns into fluid dynamics um i can tell you that a guy that's six foot four and 40 years old um has a lung capacity that should be able so we were able to basically model um this aluminum tube and try to specifically hit the resonance frequency of a a bull elks bugle Um, and when we did the same modeling on our plastic tube we can't quite get the high enough um, pitch so we we selected our thickness, our back pressure, all of that, all of the inputs into this aluminum tube um, was from an engineering model, which to my knowledge has never been done on you know an elk bugle um, to this point. You know, a lot of us have just tuned them by ear, or does this sound good enough? Um, but some of the advantages are a higher pitched ring, which we all know. Anybody that's ever elk hunted um, will be able to tell you like that. Typically, it elicits a better response um, when you're trying to locate a bull. Um, The tube is extremely loud um, volume-wise, but then we also put a neoprene cover over it, which makes it very dead um, while walking through the woods. And so we kind of addressed some of these things. And uh, then what I'm the most excited about is we've had uh, what we call our Easy easy Bugler mouthpiece, um, which has been in the works for over two and a half years. We decided, well, this is the perfect marriage between these two parts. Let's make that Easy Bugler mouthpiece fit on this new metal bugle tube is what we're calling it which is ultimately aluminum. Um, And so we've got the pair coming out together. So a guy that can't run a diaphragm um, will be able to bugle just as loud, just as clean. Um, Dirk actually just sent me a video before the podcast started. And I don't, I don't want to say this call will make you sound as good as Dirk with a diaphragm, but there's very, very little difference between Dirk on his Maverick diaphragm versus somebody just blowing over the easy bugler mouthpiece. And so we're super excited. It's, It's kind of our first product that goes, you know, after the mainstream, you know, uh, external bugle tube market and guys that can't run a diaphragm. But I think we did it right. Um, Sounds really good. It doesn't have that typical do-do-do-do-do-do, you know, the flutely sound that you hear from some of the externals. Um, You can transition to the notes and stuff, right? And uh, real chuckles, you know, it's not just a one-dimensional chuckle. And so that's kind of our new stuff. We've got a new external calf call coming. And then we've got a new mini line of amp diaphragm. So it's basically our normal sized amp, um, 80% of that, and then a new tape cut, um, which people are really liking the tape cut. Um, it doesn't fold up in your mouth. Sure. Guys that have trouble getting a seal. Yeah. Um, with that said, uh, I don't know when this podcast is going to drop. We have had a heck of a time um, with the – I'm calling it kind of the COVID delay.
1: Sure. sure.
2: We didn't really have any issues last year with manufacturing. Everything was on time. What I think happened is everybody, whether it's domestic, foreign, it's the manufacturing, everybody got nervous last year and canceled their orders, their POs. And then everybody's like doubled down this year, um, seeing that the, the market never really went anywhere. And so we kind of, we're in that bunch. So everything is coming um, sporadically, um, partials. And so I'm, I'm a little nervous on what our um, ultimate, um, you know, what our ultimate production numbers are going to be and if we can get them all in time for hunting. But we, we know we will have some um, in time for for this hunting season. And and uh, in my opinion, it's probably the biggest change that we've had, you know, call-wise since we've started. Sure. You know, the AMP diaphragm, the Unleashed Bugle Tube were big hits, but I think this um, Metal Bugle Tube with the Easy Bugler is going to be, you know, a game changer. And even guys that claim to be, you know, amazing diaphragm callers, there's no denying that if you're in big, big mountain country or if you need to locate a pole that's, you know, 3,000 feet down below you in a, in a giant canyon, this this is going to give you those extra decibels to, to reach them and get him to respond.
1: So with that, um, the, the easy collar one, is that something that's removable that if somebody does end up getting better with their diaphragm and everything like that, they can
2: pop that out
1: and uh, yep. use it as a regular bugle tube?
2: Yep. So we designed both the easy big mouthpiece and our flared mouthpiece, which, um, we, we keep on, uh, you know, we, we have on our Unleash and our uh, unrivaled both of those are going to be, um, you know, interchangeable. Okay. So you'll order awesome. with one or the other. And then from there we will, uh, you know, be able to change out or you'll be able to buy the opposite one, um, in case you want to switch back and forth. And, and to be honest, like, I don't want to feel like I've got training wheels on, but I can guarantee I will have an Easy bugler mouthpiece in my pack somewhere this year, just because I physically can't get that loud on any of my diaphragms versus um, the Easy bugler mouthpiece. So it's it's a tool for both guys that can use a diaphragm and can't. And can't.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No. We. If you go, if you go check out their uh, their Instagram, Phelps Game Calls. I think Dirk just put up a video of him, you know, blowing it, and I. Yep. Yeah. If, I mean, if you know the way an elk supposed to sound, it sounds an awful lot, a lot like an elk.
1: It, it got me yep. to uh, definitely put my name on the waiting list. Uh, yes, my name <laughs> is on the waiting list. Yeah,
2: yes. uh. um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, we? we're, we're excited. He's got a newer video coming out where he goes back and forth. He's got two of the metal tubes going, you know, diaphragm, um, you know, easy bugler that we're going to launch. We'll, we'll send out here in just a few hours. So by the time this drops, it'll be up and it'll awesome. give you a real good comparison between the two. Great. Is that That's
0: where you exciting. see kind of the, the, the call shift to the metal tube? Do you think that will outpace the plastic? Is that kind of the hope, or is that the hope just an, another tool to the to the mix?
2: So, you know, I have to evaluate some of that. Like, is the metal tube so good that it's going to replace? The plastic tube is dang good. Like, even though we're talking about volume and attachments, like the metal tube does ring higher, um, but the plastic tube has proven itself, you know, over the last three or four years. There's, there's no denying it works. And what really changes here is the price point. Like, you've got to imagine an aluminum tube that's that large, and then we sandblast it, we anodize it black. Like, the price is definitely going to be higher on this aluminum plus the attachments. And so that's where we see that we're going to be able to continue to offer both, is if you truly are a diaphragm collar and don't have any need to you know, do that or want to spend that money, then there's no need to necessarily buy the metal. Um, it's not a night and day difference, but everything about that metal tube is is better. Yeah. So we will continue to offer those those plastic tubes in conjunction with um, the new aluminum tube.
0: That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's just, that's yeah. an, you know, there's there are not a lot of, you know, major advancements like that. And I would say this is like, you know, a, in the last couple of years, this is definitely, that's a big thing. That's going to be a, yeah. a game changer in the market. And, and I know yeah, we're both excited about it.
2: Yeah, it's, it's patent pending. We've actually got approval on the patent. Um, we're just waiting for our, our filing number and, and whatever goes on. That you know, I don't know a whole lot about the legal team does, but we're just kind of waiting. So um, everything's coming down the pipeline. Um, you know, so we're we're super excited about it, um, and, and I think it, it'll change. You know, it won't change the game completely, but it'll be um, you know definitely a big change. Awesome. Um, yeah. You were you were
1: talking about your amp diaphragm calls. Um, can you explain like the advantage of the amp style with the with the metal dome over it versus a a regular uh, uh, diaphragm call that doesn't have that metal dome
2: for sure. So, you know, we, I kind of call the old school diaphragms, which are, you know, quote unquote, not amp style. Um, you know, the old flat frames, you don't have anything to basically stop that latex from stretching up into the roof of your mouth. Um, so a lot of our old flat frames are double or triple frame because you're pushing so hard against them. You need some resistance in order to achieve you know that tone and that high pitch before the latex basically goes up and locks out before it hits that high pitch. Um, On, on the amp, that, that V notch and then the dome will actually support that latex as you push it up and hit that. And then that's what's now supporting our, our high pitch um, sound out of that. And so we're able to accomplish that with a single readed piece of latex, which is now easier to control. It's easier to get sound out of. You don't have pitch breaks because you start to hit, you know, the, the second layer of latex, the third layer of latex, it's tough to have a seamless, you know, transition, and that's what creates some of that stair step. Is do do in in a double or triple read, where on the single read we control that. It's all just one piece of latex stretching uniformly um, until it hits that, and then it's it's actually designed to hold that high note for you. Um, so that's that's the major difference. The, the dome also helps position that call more in the center of your mouth. Um, and, and helps place the call. And it allows for better placement. If a caller wants to put it more in the middle of their mouth, it will sit there. If you want to push it more forward, um, it will also sit there. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's just a better all-around call. The other thing is that, which a lot of customers don't necessarily care, um, but it does give us the advantage of, uh, you know, being able to, as a builder, um, build a very consistent call. There's a lot of conservativeness built into that design. Uh, where, you know, if we're off, you know, 10% too tight or 10% too loose, the user's not going to ever know that. It's still going to function like the same call they bought last time. So it makes it very nice from a building standpoint that is very conservative. Um, and then it, we just got a very durable and user-friendly design out it. that. The call lasts for a long time. And then people that have never been able to run any of the other diaphragms, whether it's a, a plate style or a plastic dome style, they're able to put this amp frame in. And it, it's easier to use than, than you know other options that are out there.
0: You had mentioned call durability. How often do you replace your diaphragm call?
2: So if if I was a customer and didn't get to go to the woods with a bag of 100 calls that I just built for myself <laughs> before I left, I would I would bring one call for every. And and it depends if you if you want to spend some money, I would i'd bring a call for every two days if you don't if you want to try to make things stretch i would bring a call for every three days so if i had a and then plus one so if i had let's say i had a nine-day hunt and i wanted to go a little bit on the cheap side i would bring three calls plus one so i'd bring four calls for that nine-day hunt um now that's me who blows you know a call very loud um extreme pressure i've got it in my mouth all day um you know if that will be a good rule of thumb. Now, if you wanted to just make sure you had enough and one didn't have to be a cow call, you know, after you maybe bugled it out or whatever, um, you know, on, on a nine day hunt, you may bring five calls, uh, you know, or six calls. And so it's kind of my rule of thumb is, is one for every two to three days.
1: So you're saying that I should probably replace mine from like two years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, some,
2: some, I mean, if you take care of them and, and don't bugle super hard on them or really push them, like they'll last longer than, than what I'm recommending.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I, I still think but, it's time you know, for me
2: to...
0: Yeah, I think it's time <laughs> yeah, to put in another
1: order.
2: Yeah, I, for sure. I always look at it like, you know, if you're looking at it, and, and this is me definitely putting on my salesman hat, I try not to do this too much, but, you know, for one gallon of gas, especially with prices now, you know, we're at maybe $4 gallon, or four a gallon. You're basically, for one gallon of gas, you're getting that read for one day. So when you really, like, tally out a hunt, when I'm paying, you know, a lot in gas to get across the country or to a neighboring state, um, like for one gallon of gas, I, I get a fresh read every day or a read that's very alive for that day. Like it's a no brainer for me. Like I can break it down and justify, you know, buying those four or five diaphragms for a hunt.
0: Does that same theory apply then to Turkey diaphragms?
2: Turkey calls will last a lot longer. Like when we're, we still build the majority of our turkey calls on a flat traditional frame. Um, as long as you're taking care of those, you can't really, you don't stress those near as much. You're, your longevity and durability on those are really just being based on whether the latex gets cracked or old or sunburnt, um, you know, or starts to break down. So you're telling Um, me
0: if I found it in the field three days after I dropped it, probably not good anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That one's probably not good anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If if the sun gets to sit and beat on it for quite a while, um, it's typically not going to be as good, you know, for long, that, that sun really breaks down latex quick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, if you were if you were to recommend one call for a, a – one diaphragm call for a beginner caller, what call would you recommend out of your lineup?
2: Can I have two instead of one? Yes. Sure. And I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll qualify it here after I tell you why. So um, when you look at, like, we have a matrix that shows our calls from, like, bottom to top, you know, based on stretch and thickness of latex. If you were a type of caller, and, and if you're a new caller, you don't know. You may be a guy that puts a ton of – tongue pressure and blows you know like the dickens that could be you or you could be the guy that has a really tough time like barely putting any pressure to it so if you were to go just buy a one and it wasn't on the right end of the type of color you were you may throw that thing in the trash and never give it a second look whereas if we recommend like the black and the gray amps they're stretched out enough that it now gives us a very good um, indicator if you can one run or excuse me run one and not the other or if you can run both it gives me a lot better information on what type of collar you are and what we can recommend next. Um, so what we typically tell everybody is run a gray amp, which is our most popular lineup still, and then a black amp. And so the black will be easier to use, a little bit lighter stretch, a little bit lighter latex. And then the gray, which we put a little tighter stretch on and a little bit thicker latex. And between those two, we'll get a really good idea for a beginner caller, um, you know, what they prefer to use and then what they, you know, would, should order in the future.
0: Awesome. Yeah. What is your favorite call?
2: So, I mean, I get to cheat. I've, I've got my own personal signature call, which fits like everything that I like to do, um, mm-hmm. which would be the pink felt signature. Yep. Um, it's a signature amp. Um, it's got, I think it's an ogre. I don't know what it is. Me and I love my buddy Charlie Smith, who has his own signature call and, and builds the majority. Of our calls for us, our diaphragm calls. Um, we picked each other's logos, and so he thought I looked like a big dumb ogre. And so <laughs> that's, that's the way he put on my call, and I put a leprechaun with a pot of gold the, uh, yeah. you know, because he's a little red headed, you know, five foot five guy. So that was kind of our joke. Um, but yeah, so my personal call is hot pink because he picked the color, and then it's got the ogre on it. But um, that's just the call that fits everything I do well. Um, and and you know, like Dirt, he's got the Maverick, works. Very well for him. Charlie picks an even thicker and tighter call so he can get more volume out of it. Um, so, with that said, I love to run my own call. And then the Pitch Black 2 is another call I carry um, right alongside of it. I really like that Pitch Black 2. Um, it's easy to use. The latex is more durable than anything else out there. And for me, um, that black latex doesn't absorb any moisture. So, if I put a call in my mouth, you know, as I start to hike down the trail, get stuck in a two to three hour battle. Um, that call is going to sound the same, whereas my pink, I don't want to say it starts to fade, but it will start to, to absorb moisture a little bit. That latex will get a little heavier until the call will change on me, you know, throughout a long, long call in, uh, you know, which isn't 90% of them, but there is that possibility. And that's why I like that pitch black too, a little bit, uh, you know, to kind of complement my call, um, as a, tur- know, as a turkey, hunter, or,
1: as a turkey hunter, what you're saying resonates with me because a lot of times, you know, I hunt few hours in the morning whatever it may be and I keep that mouth call in, in my mouth the entire time and I it could be halfway through the morning and I go to blow it and it just comes out a little bit funny because it's just yep. got that little bit more
2: moisture in it um, yep yep it'll start to you know and you can watch the latex on mine uses a natural piece of latex you'll see it go from from a, a thinner clearer look to a more milky white and heavy look and that's just you know you wouldn't think that latex absorbs any moisture but it does yeah. Um, and, and become, it doesn't become unusable. It just changes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that when we were out in 2019, um, I, I could definitely tell, you know, it was maybe my kind of novice. I, I, I brought a bunch of calls cause I just didn't know what was going to work best for me, uh, practiced yep. a whole bunch leading up to it a couple months before. So I, I kind of knew what I was doing, but, um, I definitely leaned between the, the Maverick and the Pink Phelps were the two that I liked the best. Um, yep. and I could tell that, you know, I would switch between those two just after, a you know, hiking, you know, four or five hours and having it in your mouth all the whole time. You could kind of tell when you go to, you know, bugle that just, yep. it didn't sound, it probably sounded fine to an elk, but to me, I was like, yeah yeah doesn't yeah. sound
2: great. Yeah. It just takes that little bit of, I, it's tough to explain. It kind of takes your high edge off of the bugle. Like for a cow call, it doesn't really change. For low note bugles, it doesn't, but yeah, it's just that very upper end of your bugle that will be affected by having that thing in your mouth for a long, long time.
1: So you, you're a beginner, like we talked about, you, you just ordered, uh, the gray and the black, what are some of the sounds that beginners should quote unquote master, you know, from bugles, uh, cow calls, is there one, okay, I can't bugle, but I need to learn this cow call. Like, is there one call that should be the first thing that, that, uh, a beginner works on and, and masters?
2: Yeah. So, I would recommend not trying to sound like an elk right off the bat. Um, we do a pretty good job discussing it in some of our, on our YouTube channel, we go through six modules on, on making sounds. But the first thing I think is important is to be able to learn how to control just the high pitch buzz, you know, like a mosquito sound, um, very high pitch. And then we'll walk you through some, I guess, some procedures to kind of learn how that, that diaphragm will change sounds as your tongue pressure changes and stuff. And so, I think that's one of the big downfalls is people throw that in and want to sound like you know a perfect cow right off the bat. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You'll give yourself some bad habits right off the bat. And so we typically tell a new caller, like, don't worry about, if we can make the high note and we can tell them, like, you know, we do the European ambulance with the go high, the low, you know, if you can do that with a diaphragm in your mouth and change to those octaves, um, it will, it will actually help you become a better elk caller way faster than trying to perfect a cow mule.
0: Yeah. Would you, so then, would you recommend, you know, for that beginner caller, would you recommend that they bring like the, the Phelps Easy Estrus? Is that, would that be a much easier call to kind of yeah. master? For,
2: yeah. For most to be able to sound um, and very quickly be able to sound like a, a cow, like the Easy Estrus, you know, the Mini X, some of those externals are easier to get the sound right, right off the bat. Um, you know, there's no, there's no easy way around um, using the diaphragm besides practice and a little bit of skill and maybe a little bit of, a genetics, you know, that your mouth shape is right. So all of that kind of plays in, but there's no like, there's no way to cheat the the diaphragm. You're, it's going to take a little more practice.
0: Yep. And then kind of going into, you know, you got you've got your calls. Um, you're on your hunt. What are some of the if you're if we're going to go through the different seasons? Um, if you're out there, let's say you're out there first week in September, it's archery. What are your calling tactics? You know, kind of early season.
2: So. Maybe as I mentioned a little bit in the, the, pop, the podcast earlier, I'm fairly, um, like, programmatic. Like, I will do the same thing all the time. Now, we may change up, and there's some things like, you know, heavier cow calling, you know, pre-rut, heavier cow calling, like post-rut, trying to, trying to find that bull that's looking for a hot cow at that time or one that's maybe, you know, looking for a late cow. But we will typically, like by the time August 25th rolls around, the bulls are bugling fairly well. They might not be like peak of the rut going crazy all day long, but we're still going to try to locate bulls with, with our glass. Um, we're still going to walk trails, ridges that, that seem to have elk on it and, and send location bugles. You know, every time we get to a, a finger ridge in the trail or a finger ridge in a road, um, you know, whether we're, we're walked in or biked in, we will bugle, um, a high pitch location bugle just trying to get something to respond. Um, and then, uh, we're, we're going to, if, if that bull's in a spot, we can approach and get to him without the wind being uh, a mess. We, we get in very tight. Once we locate him, figure out where he's at, we'll get in tight and then try to call that bull in. You know, we will, I kind of look at it as fishing, but with like the least consequential, um, bait being thrown at him first. Um, you don't want to scare him off. So you may not early in the season go in there. If he's not just screaming his head off, you may not want to go in there and scream your head off. You might throw a couple cow calls at him first. Like, will he bite on that? Well, how's his reaction to a couple sweet cow calls? Well, that didn't work. Like, now instead of once again, let's not go straight to cranking bugles at him, lip ball and chuckling, like give him the full meal deal. Let's let's throw some real lazy bugles at him. Like, how does he react to that? Um, You know, and so we we are we we are fairly programmatic in that we will do the same thing: locate a bull get tight, get the win right, get very close, but then we're going to maybe, you know, throw him a few different options to see what he likes. And they're going to be like, you know, well, let's go, and I don't even know which way the DEF CONs are, one to six. I'm, I'll probably have these all backwards, but, like, let's go, let's go, like, first it's not really big of a deal. We're not going to scare him. And then, all right, number two, we're getting a little bit more um, temperamental. You know, we're turning the temperature up on, on him a little bit. But then as you start to crank it up, like, now you're starting to also risk um, the potential that he's going to blow out if you're not close enough. Um, so that's, that's important. Now, I'm going to say once we get to like September 5th, we're cranking on those bulls no matter what because that bull has cows that are in cycle. Um, he's being very protective of them. And now this is herd bull tactics too, where we're always trying to get on, on that herd bull. But by saying that, we still end up killing the satellite bulls, you know, over 50% of the time. Um, so these tactics, even though we're concentrating on a herd bull, um, we will typically still be able to call in the satellites with the same tactics.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good thing. I mean, I think that's, and that's something you don't really learn. You you won't learn that until you've done it a couple of times. Like yeah, you know, we, when Tim and I were out in, in Colorado, it, we had, you know, a couple bugles from a really lazy bull, and we, I probably novice, we tried to crank on him hard and he just never wanted to play and never came closer and we couldn't get him to close the distance. We tried to get, even more aggressive and it just pushed him out the next day, yep. the exact same, uh, in the exact same Valley heard a bull and we couldn't call enough to this bull and yep. finally got to the point where I just, he was calling. I, I like cut him off and he shut up and you could just tell that that pissed him off that I called over yep. him and you know, with, in a matter of 30 seconds, he went from 150 yards to 40 and yep. Tim had him in shooting distance and never saw him. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, no yeah, we use a lot of mimicry and, and you know, to kinda not necessarily answer your question exactly. Like what calls do I use when I when I elk hunt, I I could go out there with three calls and be really, really effective. Now, you know, I like to have the the lip ball if I need it or a capture or, or this or that. But I will go out with an estrus wine which is a little bit whinier, cow call. Um, kinda lets that bull know that, you know, you're ready to be bred or you're getting close, you need to be checked on. Um, I will use a location bugle, which I use probably 90% of the time. Like, if I had to pick a, a call that I use the most, it's a location bugle, and then I'll have a challenge bugle. So with those three calls, your my estrus wine, a location bugle, and a challenge bugle, I will do the majority of my damage with those three calls. So um,
1: so talking about some of that, the vocalizations that those bulls make, you talk about a location bugle or a challenge bugle or, like you said, a lazy bugle. How are you telling the difference? Like for, for somebody that's never been out there before, how do you tell the difference between those types of bugles?
2: It's because gonna be. I mean, I'll do my best, but a lot of a lot of it will be. It'll kind of click when you're out there and you hear it. Like, oh, there is a difference. You know, now maybe somebody with an untrained ear, it might take a while to figure this out. But so a location bugle, and this is my interpretation or our interpretation of it. Like, there's no right or wrong. Um, cause I've located bulls of challenge bugles, just because I can't get them to answer what my quote unquote location people is. We're typically just hitting like a two or three high note bugle. We're trying to get that thing as loud and high as possible, ringing our own ears. And we typically get a better response from the bulls, um, with the low, you know, the higher and louder we can get now. So that's, as we're walking along, we're just trying to get a response. It's almost like a, you know, an outdoor game of Marco Polo. You're playing with the, elk, like, Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm over here. And then that's how you get started. Um, when we go to a challenge bugle, we're adding in our voice. We're getting like a real guttural start or, you know, we're, we're adding all the realistic features and then we'll typically throw a voice back into it. So you don't get just that high clean, you know, you're going to add in the voice. You're going to add in the growl. You're going to add in, you know, grunts at the end of it. You're really trying to tell that other bull, like, Hey, I'm pissed off. I'm tougher than you. I'm going to take your lady. Is really what we're trying to, to get across. Now, a bedded beagle. um, is a very when a bull's bedded down, you know, in the middle of the day, um, and we, and you can hear it. You can hear if you're hunting the same bull, you can hear him cranking, cranking, cranking as he's walking from feed to bed, or if he's walking with his cows. That bull will lay down and he'll give you just a really lazy, like it won't hit the high note. Um, it'll just kind of be a two or three really dead low note bugle, and that will. And, and it's kind of funny, like right now, I I couldn't necessarily tell you exactly what it is, but out in the woods, you'll hear it, and you're like, oh, that bull's bedded down. Like, we'll all look at each other and know instantly that that bull is now bedded. Um, And so you'll pick up stuff like that where it just, as a hunter, it now adds to the information you've got to go try to kill that bull. Like, well, he's bedded now. Um, Let's go move in on him him and his cows, you know, and give him a surprise, you know, bed bugle or whatever. And so we're trying to, and a lot of that just comes with a lot of experience and and just hearing a lot of bugles. Um, You know, a lot of people, I couldn't sit here and tell you what a cow bugle sounds like, but... The second I hear a cow bugle in the woods, we're all like, "Oh, there! You hear that cow bugling behind us?" And it's just stuff that is, it's very tough. I could do it with if I had my calls, my bugle tube here. Um, but until you hear it on the woods, it doesn't really click or register.
0: That's awesome information. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're when you're out there, you kind of feel it. You you get that feeling that you know like that bull's pissed off. Or I had never heard yeah. it before, but. I knew the difference between that one bull that was just kind of feeling us out, trying to figure out where we were, and then the one bull the next day that was like, I don't like you, I'm coming to find you. Yep. And it was like, that. It, yeah, I mean, it, it clicked. You're exactly right, it clicked.
2: Yeah, and one of those beagles we didn't talk about is, is more of a scream or a bark scream. Um, it's, I kind of describe it as, you might not know what it is or never got screamed at, but it, you can basically imagine like that T-Rex roaring at you. When that bull gives you like a two or three second scream, like at that point, you know, his temperature is hot. Like he's pissed and you can probably do what you want with him. So when you bugle and that bull just, rah, you know, he comes right back at you with a short two to three second scream bugler. That's typically when I know like my stuff's working.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's you, you, you like, you know, if there's somebody that's listening and they're thinking about going out, you experience that one time, you will be hooked elk Cunning forever yeah it's It's
1: an incredible feeling as a
0: whitetail hunter uh that's my background whitetail hunting sitting in a stand hearing a grunt and getting excited um when you hear a elk bugle in your face there's nothing like it in the world
1: it definitely gets the heart pumping like you said coming from the midwest it's uh it's a huge adrenaline rush when that thing's not that far away and, and screaming his head off it's I think that's what yeah. makes it so much fun is, yeah, um, you know, it, re- it relates to me like turkey hunting because they're vocal and that's how you hunt them. At least how, how, that's how I hunt them. I don't sit around and wait for the turkey to come by. I go to it and it's it, yeah. it's kind of the same thing with elk hunting. If I hear it, I'm going to it. And, and, yeah. if, and I, if I don't, I'm not sitting on a trail. You know, I, it works for people, but for me personally, go find one that's ready to play, I guess, is kind of how yeah. I like
2: to do it exactly and and i've killed bulls spot and stock i've killed bulls cow calling um, but my intention to go out there is to get that rut crazed bull that you know his eyes rolled in the back of his head as he pushes through the brush nothing in the world you know matters to him at that point besides kicking my butt and that's really the the experience i'm out there after versus you know spot and stock's cool i'm not a, i'm not above going and killing a bull that i want to kill spot and stock or you know cow calling where the thing takes like two steps and looks and Takes two more steps and looks, never makes a, a sound the whole way in. Like that's perfectly, um, you know, it's effective um, and it works. And there's guys out there that kill, you know, great bulls, lots of bulls every year without making a sound. But I'm out there after, like you said, once you hear that you're hooked, and and I'm out there to get that that yeah. sort of uh, you know reaction out of them. Absolutely oh, for sure.
0: So now, if if you we kind of thought you you had mentioned September 5th is that's kind of your like proverbial date that you talk about. Then you go. Um, you start to call a little more aggressively. If you had to pick uh, one week of the year that you would, you know, if you had one week to hunt, um, that's all. Is there like a favorite week or kind of a week that you always try to target?
2: Um, It would, so once again, I I keep dodging your questions and trying to answer them um, so that I'm I'm more right. Um, If I, killing elk, I would be September 5th to the 15th, and I'm, I'm not giving you a week, I'm giving you like a 10-day span, yeah. September 5th to the 15th, and then October 1st to about the 8th, like for killing, because we're getting a little bit, we're, we're touching peak up, but we're a little bit before a little bit behind uh, in my experience. Now, if you want, if you're out there just for the experience to hear the absolute most amount of bugling, that time slot that I, I hopped around the 15th to the 30th is going to be the most exciting time to be out in the woods as far as bulls bugling on their own, um, you're not having to even make like, a sound to get them to sound off is going to be, you know, that time frame.
1: Awesome. Do you, do you notice that too on like heavier pressured ground? Like a lot of people are public land hunters. Uh, Colorado gets a lot of pressure. You know, a lot of people talk about, Oh, I didn't hear an elk the entire time. Do you think that has more to do with the pressure that's there or the time of year that they're
2: going? Um, a little of both. Uh, I, you know, I've hunted in Colorado extremely high pressure. Like I've always joked if I wanted like a collection of all 50 states license plates, all I got to do is go to Colorado (laughs) during elk season because I could, I could like snatch them up. And so we've been there. We've pushed harder. And then the other part that we can't really, we could spend hours and hours and days and days on is like finding elk and making sure you're on them, regardless of the amount of people and getting away from the people. Um, so while we were running into hunters, every day every you know morning every evening like being able to call good does start to have it it, you know we don't preach it a ton because you don't have to be the greatest caller but when things start to get tough like our ability to to get more volume um sound a little more accurate and then just get to the spots where we know and read elk sign will definitely um play its part but with when there are uh enough bulls in an area and your bowl-to-cow ratio is high and there's enough bulls of equal caliber where they are pestering each other the satellite bulls are uh, you know, semi-mature, the, the bugling's got to happen. Like elk or elk, and regardless of pressure, they've got to make noise, even in wolf-infested grounds. So I would always tell people if you can't squeak out a bugle or you're not seeing a time temp- sign, like you probably need to move um, because elk will still bugle. That's the one thing, like oh, I didn't hear a bugle all week, well, like maybe, you know, you should have probably moved locations because somewhere, especially during that peak time, elk are beagling, whether whether you're getting them to or not. Um, and, and so it's tough. I mean, we did that for a long time. We put all of our eggs in one basket. We're going to go to this trailhead. We're going to hunt these two or three drainages. And then ultimately, as we became better elk hunters, we were willing to move day to day to find an, an elk, you know, in that unit somewhere that's ready to play or a batch of elk um, that maybe have a hotter cow around them. So, what pressure does affect them? Um, time of year does affect them, but anywhere from that September fifth to October eighth, you know, October fifth, October eighth, they're bold diggling somewhere, regardless of pressure, um, you know, regardless of, of you know time of year.
1: Awesome. I mean, that's really good knowledge to have. It. Like you said, you got sometimes you just got to get off the beaten path and go find them yourself, and they're not gonna, yeah. they're not gonna be there right at the trailhead waiting for you. You got to get away from yeah, the man, we've,
2: we've showed up to, you know, out of state very first day, we find a bunch of fresh sign and, and I've tried to prove myself wrong. We'll hang out in that base in that area. Um, try to get those things to respond. And after two days, it's, it's always just like, well, they were here. They're not here. Now we need to go find them or go find some other else.
1: So always like, I always have a plan B and C and D and E. Basically. Yeah.
2: Like the guys that just get comfortable in my hunt is to walk out this trail call from these 10 spots and walk back to camp because i didn't hear anything like that's not my type of hunting like i don't you know there are guys like well i always hunt this trail and and do this or that well like if you want to kill something you better get go find a different trail that has an elk alongside of it
1: sure yeah you can't kill kill them if they're not there
2: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah It's and, and so that's we've definitely changed like we're always moving we're willing to you know as much of a pain in the neck as it is to pick up an entire canvas wall tent or spike camp and go to the outside of the unit, like, we, we are now willing to do that because otherwise, you know, spending your next five days in an area that doesn't have elk is just not going to produce. Absolutely.
0: You said, you say we a lot. Do you have a, a group of guys or a group of guys and girls that you that you typically hunt with?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, our setups, um, you know, we call out elk in for ourselves, but it just, it, it even having two guys or multiple camera guys or multiple shooters and callers, um it's just it covers more of the unit um the one group may have multiple groups of elk that they you know or can't get to and then the other group may be dead and so it just ups our chances i very rarely hunt solo elk anymore they're a big critter um a group uh, you know one guy hauling out an elk will completely wear you down versus two guys can you know, make half the work and you're not as sore um and so we've typically arranged all of our elk hunts now to be um, you know, groups of hunters, typically. There's usually two hunters in the group. You know, now with us, we've got camera guys. We potentially have callers. Um, so it's usually a group of two or three guys, you know, roaming around the woods together.
0: If, if you had to pick one person, who's your favorite hunting partner?
2: Hunting I mean, partner? Um, man, I, I'm going to – there's a lot of good ones. So I'm, I'm going to dodge this one and say <laughs> that I've got a very good core group of guys Um, from Dirk, Charlie, Nick, John, Tyson, um, even my camera guy, David frame, like I balance ideas off of him daily. Like, Hey, is this where you think the elk is? Is this where, and and he's a good hunter. He's got a good mind, um, to be a good hunter. And so even though I supposedly am supposed to have all the answers, there is a lot of like, let me throw this against the wall. This is my idea. Like Dave, you know, truth this or vet it for me real quick to see if I've got you know the right idea. Um, you know, or, and I've got to be open-minded. Like, we change ideas and, and I'm like, yeah, I think you might be right this time. Um, uh, you know, and so there's, there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, but yeah, all of those guys I mentioned that I, and I'm sure I forgot some, um, uh, but those are the guys I've, I've got to hunt with, you know, lately. Um, you know, Ryan Lampers was another really good, um, guy I got to hunt with in, in Idaho. Matt Davis. There's, we've built a core group of guys that I know are never going to quit on me. We're going to lift each other up physically, mentally and uh, make sure that we're successful like that group of guys when we go out we're not we're not trying to figure out if we're going to kill an elk it's how many and how big and how quickly and that's that's the mentality we go into like every hunt with um it's not it's not uh you know i would say it's, it's confidence it's not arrogance it's not any of that we still like to show we get you know we show some humility all the time but every day every hunt we're expecting to kill something with that group of guys
0: what's your favorite state to hunt in? So you've, you've obviously hunted in a farm, you know, more states than most of the average, the average elk hunter. What's your favorite elk hunting state?
2: Wyoming, as far as just flat out amount of elk and their management of elk, like Wyoming, you know, that you look at some of their general hunts, they've got a 35% success rate, which is, you know, double or triple most of your, um, Six, you nine. know, your, your areas. Super high. So they've got a lot of elk, there's a lot of action. Now, I love New Mexico when I've been there. I haven't drawn Arizona or Utah, Nevada. You know, some of these states I've been applying for forever. Um, I love New Mexico because you never know what that next bull is to step around the juniper. You know, if he's going to be a Gila monster, you know, 400-inch bull, or if he's going to be a raghorn. And so I love – I, you know, I'm not out there to kill the biggest bull, but I love that unknown of what's going to walk around the corner. That's awesome. So –
1: with, are you hitting any of those states this year? What's your uh, what's your trip yeah, so, schedule look like this so year? So I'm going to
2: hunt um, New Mexico. Me and Steve Brunello are going to go down there and hunt New Mexico first. Um, the first season, which is the 5th through the 15th, and awesome. then I'm going to go call for uh, Lampers and Dirk, who also have New Mexico tags this year. Um, so I'm going to call for them, and then uh, me and Dirk have Montana um, RGL tags. So we're going to hunt that as well.
1: Very cool. That sounds like a nice little lineup of trips there.
2: Yep. Yeah. Do you so still? It'll, it'll be a good year. A, a lot of, uh, you know, practice calling in those areas. So you're based
0: out of um, Oregon. Do you still, or uh, Washington, right? PL? Southwest,
2: yeah, we're, we're closer to Oregon um, than most, but yeah, we're, we're technically in, in Southwest Washington there.
0: Yeah. So do you still hunt Washington or Oregon? Do you hunt your home state for. Only um, when
2: I draw a tag. Right now, um, I our state's kind of a little messed up on how you have to apply. So if I don't draw a tag in Eastern Washington, which is where our bigger Rocky mountain bulls are at, um, I can't hunt anything but spikes And so I usually just, I've got enough going on that I'll just leave the state and, and go hunt elsewhere. Awesome.
0: Um, if you, yeah, and so, one more question, if you had one yeah. person to hunt with past or present you, that you haven't hunted be, with before, do you have like your dream list of people that you wish you could have hunted with? you know, but you're, you know, you are after their time or someone that you haven't hunted with.
2: Um, you know, my, my sentimental, um, answer would be, you know, my grandpa or dad, like none none of these guys still to this day have experienced like archery elk hunting. Like I have, um, you know, it's always been rifle hunting and, you know, grandpa's passed away and, and he was an old rifle hunter. And then my dad, he just can't quite get to the areas where we're experiencing this action now. Um, you know not for it's just a mindset he could get there he's in good enough shape he just doesn't like to um <laughs> yeah. you know, so i would say from like a sentimental answer but like as far as i don't idolize a whole lot of guys but there are guys i watch hunt and be like i'd like to just go pick their brain one of them was ryan that i got to hunt with and the other guy um you know just because he's a super good guy and he gets it done every year is nate simmons uh with the western hunter like i like that guy he's just got the knack for and tags and i just kind of want to like I'm always learning. It's like, what's this guy do that, that I don't know about? Or, why is this do guy so successful? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: That's awesome.
2: Well,
0: we we got one more question. So, I okay. know this is a, it's a, um, you've, you've probably been asked it before. What has sold better this year, the Phelps or the Maverick? Or, or can you not answer it yet?
2: He, we're fairly even this year, except for the Maverick had been turned off on the website, and Dirk says it's all a bunch of, it's all a ploy to, <laughs> to keep the number. Um, no, the Maverick's still selling better, um, when it's been in stock. Um, so I don't know if Dirk's still paying all of his cheerleaders to go buy calls or what, but no, the Maverick, Probably. the Maverick is still ahead of the pink for this year. But surprisingly, the gray, I think, is still holding the top notch. It's about ready to be overtaken with the Maverick and the pink, but the gray's still our best still, seller overall. Okay.
1: Good. That's awesome. that's awesome. Well, Jason, we really appreciate your time. Um, obviously you're a busy guy, so we're, we can let you go here. But again, thank you so much. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add. Um, you know, for somebody that's not an elk hunter uh, or not uh, familiar with your calls, how does somebody find you? Instagram, yeah, I mean, Facebook,
2: website. Yeah. yeah all the, you know, at Phelps Game Calls on Instagram, um, Phelps Game Calls on Facebook. Um, I'll answer you from my personal accounts. Um, we got a webpage, uh, www.phelpsgamecalls.com. Um, yeah, we're easy to get a hold of. We, we still haven't got too big where we won't answer your questions and, um, try to give you some personal advice. And, you know, my advice for anybody out there wanting to go elk hunt is give yourself a little time to practice and then be confident out there. Like, I've hunted with so many guys that are scared to make a sound or make the wrong sound. And in my opinion, you're going to be better off going out there and trying to at least call an elk in versus being hesitant and not making a peep and then losing your opportunity altogether.
0: For sure. Yeah. I think somebody coming from yeah. the whitetail woods, that's the biggest thing. If you're coming from the Midwest and you're used to being in a tree stand, being ultra quiet, silent, silent, yeah. that, I think that's the biggest mistake you make is you're worried that you're going to scare off the elk.
1: Even walking through the woods. I mean, an elk is a big animal. They're making noise walking through the woods as you are. So if you're, you can call a little bit while you're walking through the woods, you naturally kind of sound like an elk
2: yep exactly
0: or we appreciate it jason uh and if you have any questions um you can reach out to jason you can you know reach out to him on on instagram if you want to find out more about us you can go to our instagram um at obh outdoors uh we're on instagram facebook and then our email is the average outdoorsman podcast at gmail.com
1: good luck this year jason
2: yeah good luck to you guys and uh yeah i look forward to seeing how you do
1: thanks appreciate it thank you